Would you pray with me? Loving God, you tell us where your spirit is, there's freedom. God, would you set us free this morning in ways unexpected, unimaginable, in ways that we didn't even know we need freeing from. So God, as we come to your word in this moment, may it unlock a truth in our life, a truth that needs the truth of who you are to set us free from what you need to set us free from for the things that you've set us free for. Jesus is in your mighty and matchless name I pray and we say together, amen. Can we just give thanks for God in this moment as we grab a seat and thank you for the mess, so good. You know, so much of who we are as a church is so much more than what you see on a Sunday and in fact, it's so much more than what happens also up on this hill on campus. In fact, all the announcements that we have every week, all the information in the bulletin is really an invitation for you to experience so much more about who we are as a church. And I just want to show you some pictures of some things that I've experienced uh, as a life in this body, in this church over the last eight days. How many of you were at the neighborhood parties last week on Saturday? I just want to show you a couple of photos. You know, you see these photos. These are homes uh, around the city. In fact, we have people that drive in from Santa Clarita from Moore Park, from Palos Verdes, from downtown Los Angeles, some people who take the bus here, uh, some people who uh, walk from the bus stop up, who get rides here. We come from all over the city as we gather, and the reality is that we are the church, not just when we gather on a Sunday, but we are the church whenever we scatter throughout the city and when we are gathered in the name of Jesus, even if it's in our workplaces, in our schoolyards, even on vacation. And these experiences of community that were opened up as people were hospitable and invited neighbors to come, you don't have to wait till next year to experience those things. In fact, we've got life groups that meet on a regular basis. We've got service opportunities that happen throughout the week and throughout the year. We've got classes, so many things going on in the life of our church. Don't settle for just a little. Uh, don't settle for just showing up every once in a while on a Sunday God is inviting you into such a deep, rich, personal encounter and experience with him. And in community, we can experience that in a rich and dynamic way. Now, how many of you were here last Sunday in the one worship service? You got up early. You got here at 10 o'clock. And we had that one worship service. It was a great time. And boy, between the second grade Bibles that were given, you remember that moment? That was so amazing. All those kids receiving a Bible for the first time rushing through, trying to find where, as a staff, we highlighted different verses in the Hebrew Scriptures and in the New Testament. Boy, and even as there was that confirmation of uh, students who had gone through that whole process to be confirmed as members of this church, uh, it was an absolutely beautiful, beautiful morning. How many of you were here for the baptisms, by the way, afterwards? Now, what's so amazing, after the baptisms, uh, the next day, what I do, I sit down and I sign, and I pray for every individual uh, that's on this printed out baptism certificate. I see their full name, I, and I see where they were born. 21 individuals went public with their faith through baptism last Sunday. 21 adults. It was absolutely amazing. We had one gentleman show up for the first time to church on that day. First time. Gave his life to Christ in that service. Was baptized went to the men's breakfast yesterday and went to the first class for our membership class this morning. But what's so amazing of those 21 that were baptized, nine of them, I want you to listen to this, nine were born outside of the United States. 
And what I love about God's kingdom, what I love about the family of God is it transcends every boundary that humans put up. God's kingdom, God's family is bigger than our national boundaries. And our brothers and sisters span the globe. And what's so beautiful is that we get a little sneak peek at what eternity is going to be like. Scripture says every tongue, every tribe, every nation will gather and give praise to the one who alone is worthy of our worship. So of those nine that were born outside the U.S., five of them were born in Iran. And what I love about our church, what I love about our church is that there's this deep, growing community of individuals who uh, have left Iran, who are finding not only community here, who are experiencing the life-transforming power of a relationship with Jesus, but they're experiencing it here in this church body. So Bel Air, I'm so proud of you. You're a welcoming church. You are a loving church. You are a hospitable church. And it's a church that I love being a part of. Can we just give thanks for those people and those things in that last week? Now we're going to... We're going to dive into Scripture. If you have your Bibles, why don't we go to Romans 6, 22 and 23. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's a red book in the pews in front of you or behind your leg. Uh, if, you don't, uh, if you don't own a Bible, please take one of those with you. We would much rather you own it, have it in your life, speaking truth and love and encouragement into your life. And we're going to go to Romans 6, 22 and 23. It's on page 918 in your pew Bibles. And if you're joining us online, like many of you who are either traveling or homesick or in the hospital. I even get text messages a moment ago from somebody who says, you know, I'm out of town, but I'm joining online. Just as a reminder, we have thousands of people that join our service every week, not only live, but also after the fact. And you can always go to our website. You can download our podcast or our app, many different ways to access the content and be part of what God is doing just on Sundays. But let me read for this for you. Romans 6, verses 22 and 23 in our second week sermon series on freedom. The Apostle Paul writes, But now that you have been freed from sin and enslaved to God, the advantage you get is sanctification. The end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This, my friends, is the reading of God's Word. All right, so we're in a sermon series, like I said, on freedom. Last week, we talked about freedom for, not for self-indulgence, for for serving and loving and laying our life down for other people. You see, freedom isn't the end of the road. It's a means to an end. Uh, the moment we put freedom as something to be worshipped or something to be obtained as a be-all, end-all, often what we can do is once we get that freedom, we can actually use that freedom just for ourselves and it causes others to experience heartache and pain and brokenness. But if we use that freedom to love others, to bless others, to give to others, to, to sacrifice for others, your freedom grows and others does as well. But this week we're talking about not just freedom for something, but freedom from what? You see, here's what's difficult. I want to launch into something right now but I can't. I want to go right to Romans 6:22, but I can't. I want to jump right in and talk about freedom, but I can't right now. Because the problem is, almost every single one of us has the wrong definition of freedom. In fact, if you were born in the U.S., I guarantee you that you were taught the wrong definition of freedom. 
In fact, if you've lived in the West for very long, if you've uh, been here in the U.S., if uh, you, know, you live in modernity, which we all do, I almost guarantee you that how you've been raised, how you've been taught, the culture that you live in is a wrong definition of freedom. And here's the great irony, that the current working definition of freedom that we've been taught, that we live by, that we perpetuate, that we teach to others, leads to the complete opposite of freedom. So here I am, I'm trying to give a sermon on freedom, but the problem is if I don't define freedom as God defines freedom, you're going to take your definition of freedom, your wrong definition of freedom, and you're going to lay it on this passage, and you're not going to end up more free, you're going to end up more enslaved. So I've got to like do this whole 15-minute intro for me, to remind me that the world's definition of freedom is wrong, to remind us that our working definition of freedom, which we talk about, which we strive for, which we, which we fight for, doesn't lead to freedom. Let me read you uh, a definition. Freedom, a noun. The power or right to act, speak, or think as one once without hindrance or restraint. Let me say it again. The power or right to act, to speak, to think as one once without hindrance or restraint. How many of you would say that sounds like a familiar definition of freedom? To act, to do, to speak, to think, whatever I want, without hindrance, without restraint, right? Okay, let's play that out. I'll give you a real example. Wednesday, my son had my six-year-old son, not my 10-month-old son, my six-year-old son, had cotton candy for the first time. The end is near <laughs> because he had this thing that all of a sudden became the center of his universe. And as soon as he finished this thing, he's already bounced off the walls at Disneyland. He wants another one. And I'm trying to be, you know, a good parent. And I say, no, in that moment, I am the restraint. I am the hindrance. I am his great enemy because I am getting in the way of his freedom. If this is the definition of freedom, to do whatever you want without hindrance, without restraint, I was the primary person and my wife were the primary people getting in the way of his freedom. But what would his life look like if he had cotton candy as much as he wanted? I mean, let's, let's, let's make this personal. How many of you have ever been in a relationship with a friend, a coworker, a roommate, a spouse, a parent, a kid? Anybody ever been in a relationship? <laughs> I'm telling you. How's it gone for you when you wanted to be free in that relationship? Without restraint? Without hindrance, without judgment, doing, speaking, or thinking whatever you want. How's that gone for you when you had a roommate back in the day and you uh, constantly took what you wanted from their uh, side of the refrigerator? Did that go well? How did it go, uh, let's say, when you first had a child and you wanted to sleep in? the first day that baby came home from the hospital. You see, if our working definition is the freedom, is basically your ability to act and to speak and to think whatever you want without restraint, 
we run into a very quick problem. Because actually, even that definition of freedom, by definition, has boundaries to it, has restraint to it. Uh, if you lived your life and you said, you know what, I'm going to live completely free, I'm going to say yes to everything. I mean, total freedom. Uh, I'm never going to say no. I'm never going to miss an opportunity. I just want to, you know, the world is my oyster and I can do whatever I want, however, with whomever I want. I just want to do it all. And I'm going to say yes to everything. I don't want to miss out on any opportunity. I'm going to say yes to everything. You know what that is? That's a very narrow way of viewing the world. Because actually, you're putting limits on your life. You're limiting your ability to say no to something. And the problem is that as we go throughout life, we, we actually reach these moments where we have competing values. We want to do whatever we want tonight, and yet we know that there's going to be a price to pay in the morning, which is an interesting phrase. You know, I hear that a lot. Oh, I'm going to pay for this in the morning. I'm going to pay for this in the morning. Have any of you said that like me? I'm going to pay for this in the morning. Anybody else said that before? When I'm done with this thing, with this meal, with this experience, with this decision, I'm going, to, I'm going to pay for that. See, there's something hardwired into us that knows that that definition of freedom doesn't work. And it doesn't lead to freedom. Because to say what we want, do what we want, and think what we want actually doesn't always work out for us in the long run. Second definition of freedom the state of not being subject to any one or thing, having no authority, having no one say, no, you need to do this. Now, how does that work out for you in your workplace? You know, you've got a supervisor that says, hey, can I have you file this by noon today? Oh, I'm a free person. I am not subject to you or anyone else. What happens if you're a DP and the director says, you know, that, that shot, can we actually do it? No, I am free. I'm going to do it my way it's not going to work out for you. You see, we live in a world that defines freedom as you are the master and commander of your own life. You are your king. You are your queen. You are your lord. You are your master. If anybody gets in the way, it's not freedom. And with this definition of freedom, if you work your way all the way up the power structures of this world, God is the biggest threat to our freedom with that definition. And there's a lot of people that view God as the very person who gets in the way of our freedom. In fact, there's actually a lot of people that worship at church on a Sunday, and maybe they wouldn't say this publicly, but in their hearts, they believe that God is the greatest threat to their freedom. You see, we're at this critical moment, and it's a critical moment that didn't start today, and actually it started at the beginning of humanity. It's a critical moment where we have to make a decision, who is our master? Because actually, if you work your way down through a thought process, every single one of us, whether we're a Christian or not, everybody has a master. Everybody has a Lord. Even people who are like, no, I'm free to do whatever I want. I'm going to do whatever I want to make me popular and healthy and good. Everybody has a master. Everybody has a guiding, defining principle that every decision is based off on. Some people worship at the altar of their own success. So they make decisions, even competing decisions. What's going to make me most successful? Some people, like me, make decisions. What's going to be the decision that most people will like me? Do you know I had a master in my life long before I accepted Jesus as my master? 
my master was people saying, oh, you're great. I didn't need to be right. I didn't need to be successful. I didn't need to deliver. I just wanted to say, oh, I like you. That was my master. Some people, you don't care who likes you, but you got to be right. And you'll stop at nothing to be right. That's your master. You see, even the definition of freedom is not being subject to anything or any person. The reality is that we, all of us, have some sort of a master. Nobody lives without a master, without a Lord. Because if it's not out there, it's in here. Well, I'm in charge. I'm king. I'm Lord. I'm queen. I'm master. Third definition ways in which ruin us as human beings. I haven't even started my sermon, by the way. You still here? You still hanging? Uh, third, the state of being physically unrestricted and able to move easily. Let me say that again. Freedom is the state of being able to physically, uh, the state of being physically unrestricted and able to move easily, to having no restraints to your physical body. Now, uh, how many of you watched the NBA uh, uh, sweep? Right, four games. I don't know if you heard, but it came out after game four. Uh, LeBron James, after game one, it was a close game, went to overtime. There was an overturn call. Uh, he used his physical freedom. What did he do? He reported, he went back in the locker room and he punched a big whiteboard. Now, uh, if freedom is truly the ability to do whatever you want, to use your body uh, in any way that you want, you would think that that definition then would say that there's no consequences for our movement, uh, no consequences for our action. But the problem was, because he punched his hand through that wall, apparently he broke his hand and never wanted to share it you know, publicly before the series was over, but had to play game two and game three and game four because he exercised his freedom of movement. Now, if I wanted to go fly like the birds outside, and if I wanted to jump through that window, why is that funny? I mean, I, I mean, doesn't anybody else have those moments like, oh, I wish I could be free like the, anybody else have that? Is it just me? You do? Okay, okay. Some of us do, right? Uh, there, there's a truth. There's a reality that I cannot just physically move however I want. I can express myself, however, without consequences, without there being a price to pay. The classic example is when the fish wants to be the bird or the bird wants to be the fish. I mean, if a bird says, I want to be free, I want to have no boundaries, no restrictions, I want to be able to free to move wherever I want, and that bird looks free, I'm going to get up out of the water. Have you ever seen a fish out of water? It is so pathetic. It's the opposite of freedom. The gills for how it's created to breathe and the fins to swim don't work. We're diddly on land. And, the, and then that bird, if he says, I want to be a fish, oh, they never have to land. They can just continue to swim. They never have to park themselves and rest. They, just, they constantly are just floating. Have you seen a bird? Not the ones that are graceful and they dive down, they pop back up, but a bird that gets caught up in water and is floundering and is wet. It can't fly. You see, the truth is, is that freedom, by definition, if there's any sense of a complete absence of restrictions, an absence of boundaries, an absence of authority, an absence of anything, 
If that's our working definition, it actually leads to tremendous bondage. Because tell anybody who, who needs to have everybody's approval, talk about how enslaved they are. Talk about when somebody who, who is only free, when they're perfectly healthy, what happens when they get diagnosed? Tell that person who, who says that freedom is, I, I'm going to be at the top of my career and I'm going to be able to make decisions, people are going to report to me, what happens when they get fired? What happens when the professional athlete retires and their whole identity and their whole freedom has been built on this one thing? You see, every single one of us is in a battle for freedom, but we're battling for the wrong thing. And when we long to not have restrictions, long to not have authority, it actually leads us to tremendous enslavement, but enslavement to the wrong thing, a thing that causes us to be constricted, an absence of the person that God longs for us to be. So here's what God says about freedom. When you read Scripture from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, the definition of freedom is not the absence of restrictions, but freedom is having the absence of the wrong restrictions. To say it another way, freedom is having the right restrictions on your life. Don't confuse liberty with license. A bird thrives in the air. A fish thrives in water. A human being created in the image of God thrives within the boundaries of the life that God invited us and created us and died for us to live into. But we don't like that because it contradicts our definition of freedom. And so you have to make a decision. Do you want fake freedom or do you want real freedom? Uh, Do you want the counterfeit version or do you want the real thing? How's it going for you with the fake version, with the counterfeit version? You know, and we're complex people, so it's not like every single day we choose the fake thing. We, we lean into the real thing, and then we fall back on the fake thing, and every single one of us, it's this ongoing struggle, and that's why finally I can get to Romans 6, 22. You ready? Can we begin our sermon now? <laughs> Romans 6, 22. The Apostle Paul writes, but now that you've been freed from sin... Now, see why I had to do that? The modern definition of freedom says there's no such thing as sin. So right from the get-go, the modern definition of freedom disagrees with this passage. Sin, the Greek word is hamartia, literally means to miss the mark. It's like an archer. You hear me say this all the time. It's like somebody aiming for the wrong thing. It's making the wrong decision. Uh... Do I say to my boss, you know, the reason why I didn't do uh, my report is because, you know, I'm lazy. (laughs) The truth? Or is the reason why I didn't do my report because, you know, I had to go to the hospital for for my sick baby. And it was this overwhelming thing, and I just, this thing that I, that I had to do, and it was just that I'm so sorry. I, this never happens, even though it happens all the time. There's always an excuse. But it never happens. It never happened again. That, I mean, what decision do you make in that moment? It seems like the most uh, non-freeing thing is to tell the truth. You know, I'm, I'm just lazy these days. And it seems like the most freeing thing to do is to lie. And so this definition of being freed from the wrong choice 
comes smack into our definition of freedom because we live in a world that says there's no wrong choices. You do you. Whatever you choose is fine. That's our modern definition of freedom. And so the word sin, which means to miss the mark, to aim for the wrong thing, says that there's right choices and there's wrong choices. And it's not our preference to decide between those two. It's actually how God has created us. The right choice for a fish is in the ocean. The right fish for a bird is in the sky. The right choice for us is to live in this life that God invites us into. So the Apostle Paul says this amazing truth, but now that you've been freed from sin and you're enslaved to God, that seems so counterintuitive, again, with this modern definition of freedom. We think freedom is you're not enslaved to anyone. There's no subject to anything. But the truth is that we're all masters to something. But when you're freed from sin, Paul says, now you're enslaved to God. God is your master. He is your Lord. He is the center of your universe. He has more glory. He has more weight. He has more significance. He matters more than anything else in the cosmos. And here's what's amazing is that what Paul is going to walk through, which you'll see in a moment, he says that you're freed from sin. And then take a look. You're enslaved to God. The advantage you get is sanctification and the end is eternal life. Here's what he does. He actually walks you through how you can be set free from the price of sin, from the power of sin, and from the presence of sin. Now, there's two of you taking notes, so let me say again. The price of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin. Everybody else, we can just memorize this stuff, right? Yeah, notes in our brain. Now, what's interesting about this, this progression, you've got to understand this. Because this is the complete opposite way that human-made religion deals with sin. This is the complete opposite way that our, our view of what we can do to, to be set free, it's a complete opposite way that we strive in our activity, our religious activity, to be set free from these things. Now, let me take a step back. Actually, you'll see in the book of Genesis in the very beginning that God created us for His pleasure, for His glory, and we were whole in our relationship with God. God's original intent was for us to thrive. We were whole in our relationship with God, with each other, with ourselves, with creation. All was good. There was peace. There was shalom. There was self-giving love. There was goodness. There was beauty. There was joy. It was all the things that we're, that we're longing for. It's the perfect definition of freedom. And yet there were restrictions. God said to the first humans, you can eat from every tree of the garden, but from that one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, from that, don't eat. And so immediately that definition, the proper definition, the biblical definition, the eternal definition of freedom was challenged. You see, the biblical, the God, the eternal definition of freedom is that, yes, it's the right restrictions, and the restrictions come from the right master. It was challenged immediately because all of a sudden, something became present. This serpent in the form uh, that came as the form of God's enemy came and, and questioned, said, did God really say you can't eat from any tree of the garden? A choice became present. And the woman responded, Eve responded and says, no, no, we can eat from every tree, but it's from that tree we should not eat. And the serpent says, oh, no. Oh, you won't die. You'll, you'll, you'll be like God. And all of a sudden, a choice was present. And all of a sudden, that choice 
had power over those first humans because Scripture says, and the fruit from the tree was pleasing to the eye. And they ate. And all of a sudden, there was a price to pay. Their eyes were open. They were ashamed. They were broken. They hid from each other. They hid from God. And all of a sudden, they were broken in this relationship with God, with each other, with themselves, with creation. And we go through that pattern every single day. We face hundreds of choices every single day. And all of a sudden, there are all these competing choices that we have to make in the moment. All of a sudden, it is present. And within the myriad of choices, there are wrong decisions, decisions that will lead us to pain, to heartache, to sorrow, to bitterness, to the opposite of freedom. And it's present in our life, and always there's something that has power over us, something that woos us, something that gets deep into our soul under the cold or the warm exterior of our lives, deep down to what really matters in our life and has power over us, and we, and we make that decision. We choose the white lie. We have another drink. We go back to the addiction. We go back to somebody else's spouse. We hide things. We distort things. We make these decisions that has power over us, and then all of a sudden there's a price to pay. And every single one of us longs for freedom. Every single one of us longs to be set free from not only its, its presence in our lives, but the power it has over us and also the price that we've got to pay. We're stuck. And until we realize that we've got the wrong working definition of freedom, we will never truly be set free. The Apostle Paul, he walks us through this amazing thing. He says, and he's speaking to Christians, he says, but now that you've been freed from sin, what he's saying right there is you've been set free from the, the price of sin, the penalty of sin. And this is this amazing work that God does. When we look at him and we say, I receive you by faith, you know what happens, Scripture says? He takes all of our brokenness. He takes all of our bad choices. He takes all of our sin. He takes all of the ways in which we've missed the mark, aimed for the wrong thing. He takes it upon himself on the cross. And what does he do? He gives us his righteousness. He gives us his perfect record. He gives us His holiness. He gives us His standing in, in God's eyes. Therefore, if you've said yes to Jesus, God looks at you and says, you are forever freed from the penalty and the price of sin. You are beloved. You are holy. You are redeemed. You are saved. You are my child. You have an inheritance that can't be touched. But don't leave it at that because that's just the beginning. The truth is, though, there's a standing that we have in Christ. Those choices every day still have power over us, right? The Apostle Paul says it this way. This great leader of the church, he said yes to Jesus. He understood that he was in right standing with God in Christ. But he says, gosh, the things I want to do, I don't do. Can anybody relate to that? And he says, the things I don't want to do, oh, I do those too. Can anybody relate to that? And then he says, so gosh, there's this war within me. It's like this ongoing thing. And then he gets this point, he says, what a wretched person that I am. Who's going to rescue me? Who's going to save me? Who's going to free me from this body of death? And he says, thanks be to God because of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul means right here. And I want to just kind of 
peel back some layers of this onion here. He says, that's what happens after you've been freed from the price of sin. The advantage you now get is sanctification. What a huge word. The word sanctification simply means this. It's an ongoing process of continually and progressively being freed from the power of sin in your life. To be sanctified means that you are transformed more and more into the image of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if justification, which is a huge word in of itself, that's the word, the fancy word that we give to being freed forever from the penalty and the price of sin, if that's entirely what Christ did on the cross that you receive by faith, we receive it, we receive it. Sanctification is something that you actively participate in. And this is what most Christians miss. This is what, so many of us, we miss this because the truth is this. Yes, you've been set free from sin, from the penalty of sin, but it still has power over you. Therefore, every time you open up God's Word and you begin to allow the truth of Scripture to speak into your life, even when it contradicts your preference, even if it contradicts your desire, even if it contradicts your definition of freedom, the more you open up God's Word and you agree with that, the more those broken choices and the sin will actually, the power of that, that, that stranglehold will begin to loosen. And I love how 2 Corinthians 3 says it this way, that we are being transformed more and more into the image of Christ. Uh, we, we're like with unveiled faces. We reflect the Lord's glory. There's this ongoing transformation. You open up God's Word, the powerful stranglehold begins to be loosened. When you confess your brokenness to God and say, you know what, God, I, I, what's wrong with me? I keep doing this. The power begins to loosen. If you're in Christian community with safe people, loving people, encouraging people, and you say, I need help. This is what I'm struggling with. Can you pray for me? The moment that is brought into life, I'm telling you, when it's brought into light, you are set free from a, another layer, another layer of the powerful stranglehold that it has in your life. The more that you practice the one another's of Scripture, when you love one another, encourage one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, walk on this journey of faith alongside one another, you're actually you're being transformed more and more in the image of Christ and that powerful stranglehold of all those bad choices of all those temptations, it's going to get loosened. How many of you, show of hands, when you look back on your Christian journey and say, you know what, I can identify at least one thing that used to have such power over me, but I feel like I've been set free from, at least partially. Anybody else say that? That's sanctification. Your whole journey of life, as you follow Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone, is is this gift that God gives you. Paul says that's an advantage. The world doesn't have any resource that will give you the resource to undo the stranglehold of power in your life like Christ can. But you've got to lean into it. You've got to practice it. You've got to encounter it. You've got to experience it personally. Now, some of you might say, well, no, I've I got no. Nothing tempts me. You know, um, maybe some of you are like, you know, no, I'm, in, I'm pretty clean, you know. Nothing has power. I mean, that's a strong word for power. Nothing has power over me. You know what has power over you in that moment? Your pride. 
It's got so much power over you. You are so blind. You think you've arrived? You know, I can slip into that sometimes. Gosh, it's so easy. But when you are granted the truth that you've been forever freed from the price and the penalty of sin, you know that you are forever saved, that, that God who begins a good work in you will carry it on to completion of the day of Jesus Christ at Philippians 1, 6 passage. Here's the amazing truth of how all this is going to end. The Apostle Paul, take a look at this. Why am I in the book of Acts? So excited to turn the page. Romans 6, 22, he says, the end is eternal life. He says there's going to be this one future day that isn't the end, it's actually the beginning. And it's called eternal life. And it actually, it begins the moment you give your life to Christ, but you're going to experience the fullness of what it's like in God's presence to be completely free from the presence of sin. Can you imagine that? What would life be like if you never had to say, well, I guess I've got to choose between the lesser of two evils. I mean, what's it going to be like one day when you get to vote and say, well, I, I guess I'm just going to vote the lesser of two evils. You know, what's it going to be like one day when you're in this place where you're like, well, gosh, every choice leads to flourishing for me and others. That's what, that's what heaven's going to be like. And what's so amazing, Paul goes on, he says, for the wages or the price of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Miller, what's it going to look like tomorrow morning? You know where you'll be. I know where I'll be. What's it going to be like tomorrow morning when you are faced with your first choice of the day? Where you're trying to figure out, well, gosh, what do I do? And you make a decision based on a different definition of freedom. What if in that moment tomorrow morning that you, you're not making a decision on, gosh, what can I do that's going to be good for me without restraint, without hindrance, uh, without me being subject to anyone else? No one's going to know. Uh, what if you change that definition? You said, you know what, God? What would you have for me? And the complete opposite of what our working definition of freedom would be, Jesus... Um, I think you know better than me. I want to experience you as my Lord and my Master and my King. Can you help me here? Can you guide me here? Can you show me in your Word? Can I call up some Christian brothers and sisters and get some counsel from them? Can you reveal to me what your best for me would be? See, here's the great irony of life. You think about the most free athletes on the planet. I mean, the people that just seem like they can just do amazing things. The only way they got to that freedom is by having the right restrictions in their life. You think about the best musicians. They actually know the right structure, the right restrictions to make that thing work in that key under that progression. 
You think about people who are so good and so free driving a stick shift. Any of you drive stick shift? You do realize there are restrictions there. I mean, your left foot's got to be doing something at the right time when your right hand is doing something, unless you're other part of the world and you're, you know, you're doing the opposite way. You see, it's actually an experience, even outside of faith, that the right restrictions lead to tremendous freedom. Psychology affirms this. Biology affirms this. Anthropology affirms this. You see, science is catching up to Scripture. And Scripture says that if you choose the right master, the right Lord, and the right restrictions that your God-given creator gives you, watch it your freedom will do, not only for you but for other people. So, Baylor, let's start today. Let's continue tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Let's keep following Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you for this moment. And we thank you that we've chosen to restrict ourselves to going outside in this moment. We've restricted our maybe desire to sleep in. Uh, we've withheld maybe an opportunity to golf or to do something today. And so, God, we've made a decision to be here, either in person or online. And so, God, I pray that in this moment that your spirit would meet us in this decision to be present with you, to commune with you, and that we would experience and encounter your Holy Spirit in a powerful way. Jesus, set us free for your purposes, from sin, for your glory. It's in your name we pray and we say together, amen.